Welcome back to the Friar Talk podcast and YouTube channel. For today's episode, we're going to be doing our second mailbag. Now, we posted this question, I believe, on either Monday or Tuesday. We're recording on Wednesday. Going to go over this. I think this post is going to be posted on Friday. So we're trying to be doing these mailbags a little bit more often just because, obviously, you know, we got the lockout stuff going on. Um, not a ton of MLB news. Hopefully, once the lockout ends, we're going to have just a bunch of news, a bunch of videos, a lot of exciting stuff going on. But right now, there's not that much going on. So we want to do some mailbags, want to you know, kind of see what you guys are thinking, and I really want to engage with you guys a lot more because we basically have a comment section, and that's it, and then a live stream comment section. So we, we want to get your guys' thoughts out there as well. So with these mailbags, we're going to be going through a bunch of questions. I think today we have like seven responses. But the question was, who was the best bounce-back candidate on the Padres? Please provide reasoning for your pick. So first response I have here is from Gil AA. He says, Clevenger and Snell, game over. But nothing would make me happier than Grisham becoming a 25 home run outfielder. Tingler would, or it would slot Grisham all over the lineup. So he just stopped responding after the first month. Um, Trent, and then underneath that, he says, Trent Grisham, comeback player of the year. If he doesn't get dealt midseason after he impresses through the first months and probably decides to pull the trigger on a blockbuster trade. So, what do you guys think about Gil's comment? We got Clevenger and Snell as the main guys, but obviously he's bringing up Grisham as a guy that he really wants to see succeed. So what do you guys feel about Trent Grisham as that bounce back player? Go ahead. Uh, I, th I think we all want to see it. We want to see like the first half of the season, Trent Grisham. We want to see, the 2020 Trent Grisham, you know, with a guy that can hit three home runs a game, not the guy that goes over five with like three strikeouts and a couple weak ground balls. I mean, the one of the things that was so dynamic about him was center fielder and he had a lot of pop to his bat. I mean, outside of a few guys, there's not a lot of center fielders that have a pop to their bat like Trent Grisham does. That and he's a gold glove fielder. If he becomes an all around player, he can be a perennial all star. He could be the center fielder for the future, which Padres have been lacking a true center fielder for a while now. I remember Margot, but I like Margot, but he was just like an everyday average center fielder. We had Jankowski out there for a while, which we've seen brighter days. And so we have this young kid in Grisham, DM 2020. And I think all of us instantly fell in love with him. I mean, this guy showed up hit three home runs in a game. We're like, wow, this kid could be the real thing. Got on a little cold streak, but ended the year hot. And then last year comes around and we see him dealing with injuries, see him dealing with a slump. Now, parts of that can be on Tingler. Parts of that can be on not really having a real hitting coach, different hitting coaches every year. But yeah, if Trent Grisham has a comeback year, he would be the one kind of staple of the outfield because we're also hoping to have a comeback year from Will Myers, and we don't have a left fielder right now. So Trent Gisham is kind of like the one solid player out there that we really perform next year. Yeah, it's important to know that Trent Gisham in 2020, you know, if you expand that to a whole season, 162 games, he would have hit around 23 to 25 home runs. So I don't think that's out of the realm of possibilities. I think he's like a 20 home run guy who can play, you know, gold glove center field and hit around 250, 260. Um, and that's what I expect from Trent Grisham. I think that would be a great season from somebody that we really need to, uh, you know, perform up to expectations considering, you know, Manny, Jake, and Fernando were 
the three guys that, you know, come into the season where we knew were going to perform, but there was a fourth guy that we thought was going to perform better than he did. And it was Trent Grisham. And he, I mean, that could go for a lot of players on this team, but Trent Grisham was the guy that we thought, ah, this guy could be like a top five center fielder or top 10 center fielder. He could be one of the best players in baseball. And it just didn't work out that way. So, um, you know, I've said it before, what's, what, what type of Trent Grisham are we going to get? Because we really don't know what type of player he is yet. Is he the player from the 60-game season or he's the player from this last season? We don't have enough of a sample size to say he's good enough to hang with, you know, the top three guys in our lineup when originally we thought he, uh, you know, he was that kind of guy. But, you know, he's fast. He's a solid guy to have at the top of your lineup. He's an amazing center fielder. I was there at the Dodger Padre game when he made that catch. I forgot who he robbed. It was, you know, dead center. He made an amazing catch. Um but he's just he's an amazing fielder, man. And and I think that's something that's got to be recognized a little more outside of the Padres fans. Um, <clears throat> but a bounce back season from Trent Grisham is absolutely something that I expect. Uh, you know, I think he's got to be somebody that's a staple in, in th at the top of your lineup. But he needs to prove that he can be that. Yeah, I'm totally with, with you guys. I mean, I think that when you look at Trent Grisham, I think a lot of people feel like, oh, this guy's way too inconsistent to, you know, have a lot of faith in. We got to remember, he's only been in the league for three seasons, and in two of those seasons, he didn't even have full years. Last year was the first year he had a full year, but he was injured, and he had a heel injury that definitely, you know, impacted his season a lot, especially in that last two-thirds of the year, I'd say. So you look at Trent Grisham, in those first, two, first three years, he was 22, 23, and 24, and this year he's going to be 25. We were talking about a very, very young player with a very small amount of at-bats that, frankly, in San Diego has not had the best coaching. We've talked about the coaching upgrades this last offseason. Trent Grisham, if you're looking at it from a lineup perspective, he's probably got to be the number one guy on that list to expect to maybe overperform last year's numbers, I would say. So, got a lot of stock in Trent Grisham. I mean, we have kind of advocated for him, even though I think a lot of people are just kind of sold on him, but this is a guy that's only 25 years old with a very, very few amount of at, of career at-bats. So I think Trenton Grisham can turn it around. He has all the tools. You know, he has the ability to do it. He might never be a guy that hits for a high average, but outside of that, he can provide some pop. He can be a great fielder. He can steal a ton of bases, and he gets on base a ton. So he's going to contribute in all of those departments. But I think that he's a guy that, that maybe people are overlooking a little bit heading into this year. Um, with that said, the next bounce back candidate for the Padres, this comment is from William Phillips. He says, easy one, Blake Snell. Guy was pitching excellent uh, late during the season, and I can't see him being worse than last year, which was terrible. And I definitely think over the course of that season, it was a terrible year when you look at Blake Snell's, you know, his numbers. I believe the transition to a new city and team was difficult for him. He will, benef he will benefit from the new uh, managerial staff, especially with Ruben Niebla there who is described as a pitching guru. I completely agree with this one. And Isaac, I'm going to go back to you first on this one instead of Chase, because Isaac, you have been hyping up Blake Snell a ton. So Isaac, what do you think about William's comment and how do you feel about Blake Snell heading into next year? When Blake Snell is on and looking the way he did uh, late July and throughout August, he is the most electrifying pitcher on our staff, and he is the most fun to watch, in my opinion. Just the emotion he shows and everything from it, you could tell he has a desire to be a winner. He has a desire to go up there and perform, and, and that's what I really like about Blake Snell is that he's really hard on himself. You could look at his Twitch streams, and you know he's talked about Jace Tingler. I forgot the stuff he said, but he's really, really fun. Like He's a fun guy, but 
really didn't just a performance. I think he was above a four ERA last year. And a lot of that came from, I think, I think who said this? I don't, I don't remember who said this, but William, 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 you are right. I think the difficulty of moving to a new city, you know, especially you've been a Ray for so long where you can't, you want to saw young in Tampa Bay and, and, you know, they took you out in the fifth inning after you were having an amazing world series performance. I think moving to a new city and everything kind of rattled him, but when he settled down, and when Larry Rothschild was gone, which he visibly showed displeasure in playing for Larry Rothschild, you could see I, I would watch bullpens and they wouldn't say a word to each other. So I think he visibly showed displeasure in playing for Larry Rothschild. And when he left, man, it showed he had like a one, what was it, like a 189 ERA after Larry Rothschild left. And he was fantastic down that stretch and Joe Musgrove too. So I think with uh, Ruben Niebla, who's going to get the best out of him, who's out of all of his three or four pitch, I think it's a four pitch mix, but he had to get rid of one of those pitches last year. I think what was it, guys? The slider or the curveball? One of his changeup. The changeup. Yes, it was the changeup. And it was his slider or curveball that started working for him. He had to get rid of it because it wasn't working when in the past his changeup was his best pitch. So what Ruben Niebla is going to be able to do, hopefully, is going to be able to maximize every single one of those pitches so he doesn't have to get rid of a single one. I believe in Tampa Bay he had to get rid of one too. Um, but this year, hopefully, he's able to have that full full arsenal, and I expect him to be a, a three ERA guy, low threes. I expect him to be the ace of the staff until Mike Clevenger, eventually in in July or or August, is fully healthy and becomes the ace of the staff. Um, but Blake Snell, man, you know, most fun pitcher to watch, and I I fully expect a great season out of him. So like, like the type of season that we expected when he came into San Diego, and he's going to justify everything that we gave up for him. Yeah, absolutely. So the funny thing is, is like everyone says uh, the transition to a new city. But if you look at his home road splits, he pitched fine in San Diego. It was on the road. Anytime he pitched at an, an away stadium, and I'm, I'm guessing this is because, you know, he hadn't pitched there before or anything. But my God, the home road splits were horrible. I think he had like a one five to two ERA at home and it was like over six on the road at one point in the beginning of the season. And you're just thinking, what is going here? Why can he pitch so well on the road? Or why pitch so well at home, but on the road, man? It's like he's a completely different pitcher. Part of it had to do with his mechanics. Uh, there is a video on it by SportsStorm. He kind of goes over everything. Um, we kind of mentioned the changeup kind of being less effective during the season. And uh, SportsStorm goes over how the changeup was less effective and his uh, mechanics were a little messed up. Uh, and as soon as Larry Rothschild left, it kind of seemed like everything was sort of fixed. Everything started to click. He wasn't using the changeup still, but his slider and his curveball found new life. He was locating the fastball. He ended off on a great note. And now that he has Ruben Niebla here, I think this whole pitching stuff, not even just Snell in general, is going to take a, another step up in their game. But yeah, absolutely. Blake Snell is a great candidate to be a comeback player. And I think Isaac Sherry, I think he's going to be the ace of the staff. And I think he's still going to be the ace of the staff, even when Clem is back. I think he's going to outperform Clem this year. I mean, you look at Blake Snell, you look at, you, you brought up Clevenger too. We're going to get into him in a second here. But a lot of these guys, a lot was traded for them. Last year had down, uh, disappointing seasons. Chase, you also brought up the whole pitching staff as a whole. And you look at how they performed under Larry Rothschild. And there was a lot of struggles. I mean, when you have a pitcher like Blake Snell, 
that has to give up throwing his changeup because it's it's just become ineffective. I think that's more of a, a stress on the pitching staff than necessarily Blake Snell himself, especially when you look at another guy in Chris Paddock, another guy we're also going to talk about here in just a second, who, what was his worst pitch last year? I'm going to have to say it was the changeup. His fastball was way more consistent than it was in 2020, and that's why I have a lot of faith move, uh, with him moving forward. His curveball took a big step forward, and what happened? His dominant pitches changeup was just not very good. Guys, guys were destroying his changeup. Same thing with Blake Snell. He, he couldn't hit the strike zone. So those are two pitchers where their changeups completely fell off the table and were basically, you know, not really used that much. So when I'm looking at this pitching staff, I think overall, I think you're going to see them improve a lot. Now brings me to the next comment, Cody. He says, honestly, the entire pitching staff, staff I see a dr- drastic improvement with Nabla as pitching coach. Choosing one, I'd say Blake Snell. My dark horse bounce back w- will be Chris Paddock. Deep down, I feel Niebla can turn Paddock back to the pitcher we saw his rookie season. With that comment, Micah Anderson also comments, it's got to be Clevenger. He looks to be progressing well so far, and he's probably hungry to reestablish himself as an ace-level pitcher. Snell, too, looking forward to him forward to him picking up where he left off. So we look at that. Clevenger, we, got, we already talked about Blake Snell, but Clevenger and Chris Paddock, Chase, Isaac, how do you feel about those guys? We'll go with you, Isaac, only because next question is is one of your favorites, Chase. So we'll lead off with you next time. Okay, you guys both know how much I love Mike Clevenger. It's funny because I like pretty much this whole pitching staff. It's it's I love them all. Um, but Mike Clevenger and Chris Paddock are two guys that I've been, you know, diehard for, I would say. Um, Mike Clevenger is coming back and supposedly he's had the best like such an amazing rehab. He said it's so much easier because he's already gone through this rehab process before. So that gives me a lot of confidence that, you know, it's not only going great, but he's going to be able to come back a lot stronger than we all think. Um, Ruben Niebla comes into the mix. I, I went ahead and I looked at um, past comments from Mike Clevenger about Ruben Niebla. Uh, I think they were about Ruben Niebla. And all he could talk about was how how great Ruben Niebla was. He loved working with Niebla. That's that's all he had was high praise for him. So now he gets to reunite with him in San Diego, where he's he's shown visibly that he's comfortable now in San Diego. He loves being a San Diego Padre, and I, I think you know similar to Blake Snell, that has a big effect. Um, and you're who I think you said it, Matt. He's hungry, or Micah said it. He's hungry to reassert himself as one of the aces of the league. And I don't think it's going to happen immediately. I think that'll happen down the road when he's able to throw more pitches. But he was, I think we talked about it last year, who had the highest ERA between the guys that we traded for. He had a higher ERA, career ERA than Blake Snell and you Darvish. All three guys that we acquired. Of course, Joe Musgrove too, but he was, I believe, high threes, low fours when we acquired him. Um, but the best one was Mike Clevenger. And we gave up a lot to get him. And I think this is going to be one of those trades where we're going to look at it and we're going to think, okay, this didn't pay off for the first you know, two years, but not because of performance, because of injury. So it's hard to knock that trade because of that. But when it comes to performance, I think this is going to be the one where we think it doesn't matter how much we gave up because he was just that good. I think he's going to be a high twos guy um, down the road. I think you know throughout the season, he'll probably be mid threes, high threes. But when it comes like, oh, who's had the best stretch from July to the end of the season? Mike Clevenger, one of the best stretches. I think it'll be him. Um, but you know, he has a great pitch mix as well. He's got some funky mechanics, but there's so much fun to watch. I wouldn't even say funky. Um, I don't know what, what word I would use, but he's very fun to watch. He's, he's another guy that, you know, I have really, really high hopes for 
going to Chris Paddock now. Um, you saw Ruben Yebla had a pretty big effect on, on uh, a former Padre, Cal Quantrill. Cal Quantrill ended up having a really good season in, in Cleveland because, you know, he got to work with, with the pitching department, including Ruben Niebla in Cleveland. And that's somebody that's coming over to San Diego who, of course, we don't know what Chris Paddock's, you know, his UCL, we don't know how that's going. We don't know what's up with his injury status, but this is assuming he's healthy. All, every time we talk about Chris Paddock, it's assuming he's healthy. I think he could be a high threes guy, fourth or fifth guy in our staff. I don't think he's going to be an ace. I think when his rookie season, I think we all expected him to be a Padres ace or a Padres number two. I don't think it's realistic anymore. I think he's going to end up being the number five. And when I think of a Chris Paddock bounce back, I'm not thinking about, you know, rookie expectations. I'm not thinking rookie Chris Paddock anymore. I'm thinking a guy who will be high threes, low fours, and who can be a really, really solid fifth fifth starter in our in our staff. One of the best fifth starters in baseball. That's what I'm hoping for. Um, it, it's, you know, it's very vital to be able to get Chris Paddock's changeup back, his his curveball working to the same extent that it was down the road in the season. Uh, being able to get that three-pitch mix for him is going to be very important. And last thing about Chris Paddock is for anyone who watches Chris Paddock, you can see that sometimes when his ball has run, it's, it's at 92-93. And he's yet, like, in other games, his fastball has run, and it's still pumping 97. So I don't know what the difference is between how how velocity changes. So like it's a drastic change in velocity from where velocity, sorry, where if you go watch his start against LA, his second year, I believe, or his third, I forgot which one. He was throwing like 92. It, it was no hope. He got rocked. But if you go watch another one of his starts against the Dodgers where he was pumping 97 at home, they only put up one run and it was off, I think, a leadoff home run. So a lot of hope for Chris Paddock as long as he's able to find consistency in all in his whole pitch mix. Yeah, uh, one of the things with Chris Paddock was uh, he mentioned it himself. He talked about it in an interview is in the 2020 season, his arm angle was wrong. It was lower than it was. So it was causing him to throw his four seamer more like a two seamer. Uh, he was dealing with a couple of injuries where he had a sprained ankle that year and it definitely affected his velocity and you know, we kind of seen it anytime this velocity drops. There's usually an injury somewhere in there that, you know, he's going to miss time. And that's kind of what happened last year, too. Like we said, we don't know the status of his injury. If he's completely healthy, I think him and Diablo can go a long way. Uh, when he's locating his fastball, everything else just plays so on top of it because he already has great control with his changeup just last year. It just kind of fell flat. It didn't have the same movement. It didn't have. It didn't seem to fool anyone as much as it did in 2019, or parts of 2020. And actually, in 2020, his changeup actually looked a little bit better than it did in 2019. It was just he couldn't locate the fastball. His velocity was off, and everything else became very hittable. So, him working with Nebula, I do think Chris Paddock is going to come back. I think. He's going to be between probably a 3-3 and a 3-6 ERA. I'm going to say that. I don't think he's going to go over four. If he truly, you know, is healthy, everything is back to normal. I think he's going to be between 3-3 and 3-6. For Clevenger, I'm actually, it's, as much as I don't like that baseball is not going to start on time, but with the lockout kind of being extending past, you know, okay, we're getting two series canceled. It's kind of better for Clevenger. I mean, he's going to have to pitch less games coming off Tommy John. 
We have all our pitchers. We all know last year they got injured like relatively towards the end of season. And the less games they play, it seems the better they pitch. And so having a lot of guys, I don't mean a lot of guys coming off injury. You have Clev, Lamette, Mordejon, Castillo, um, Drew Pomeranz, maybe Chris Pat. The list goes on and on. And so the kind of later season starts, I feel like the more informed Clevenger is going to be at the beginning of season, the better that affects the Padres. I mean, having him ready to go nearly 100% on opening day, I mean, having this rotation completely healthy and having Clevenger able to go five, six innings at the beginning of season is a game changer for the Padres. So hopefully that's the case. Like Isaac was saying, he said that his rehab a lot smoother this time. We've seen the videos of the bullpen, man. Do you hear the glove pop? It just echoes throughout the stadium. Sure, it is empty, but that's still a nice sound to hear. Yeah, I remember we talked about it a while back before uh, the lockout had actually you know, eliminated regular season games that we expected the season to get cut down a little bit. And one of the things that we brought up was that it's probably going to impact the Potters in a positive way. With Mike Clevenger, that's a huge thing because the the more amount of the higher percentage of season that you have Mike Clevenger starting as you know full on Mike Clevenger, not a limited capacity, not a oh he can only go three four innings at a time. You know when you have Mike Clevenger going out there and starting like a normal starting pitcher, maybe not coming back off injury, that's going to be huge. A healthy Mike Clevenger is a is one of the biggest reasons for the for the Potter, why the Potters will have success in twenty twenty two. So you look at him. Chris Paddock, you know, we talked about how his pitches, like the inconsistency for him, um, especially with that fastball velocity. Another thing for him is health. We don't really know where he's at. We're going to find out in a couple months. Whenever the season starts, we're going to know, okay, is Chris Paddock healthy? Is he not? We're probably going to find that out in spring training. It's probably going to be one of the first things that we're able to understand with, you know, just just the injuries that he's had over, over the end of last year into the offseason, not getting surgery. We don't really know what's up with him. So with him, with Mike Clevenger, Clevenger gets to reunite with Ruben Niebla. Ruben Niebla and him had a great time together in Cleveland. You saw a lot of success from Clevenger. Chris Paddock is finally going to get a pitching coach that can hopefully unlock that potential. I also agree with you guys. I don't think he's necessarily going to put up those rookie numbers or look like he did his rookie year. But him pitching like a a number three pitcher on on a normal staff as the number five pitcher would be massive for this team. And one of the things that always gets forgotten about Chris Paddock is that when Chris Paddock is pitching, not even at necessarily a high level, but just like a decent level for him, he pitches deep in the baseball games. And there is nobody on this Padres staff that I feel super comfortable, probably besides Joe Musgrove that's able to do that. Blake Snell struggled with that last year. Mike Clevenger's coming off injury. And you Darvish has had many, many injuries over the past few years. And I do not feel like he's going to be able to go over 150 innings. If Chris Paddock is pitching at a decent level, let's even say he's at a four ERA, but it's pretty consistent and we're not getting super up and down. He's just, you know, pitching all right. He can still throw like 180 innings in a year if he's healthy. So I think that's something that kind of gets forgotten about. And especially with this Padre staff, because they do not have guys that can eat up innings. And if Chris Paddock's able to do that in the five spot, that's more important than more important than what his ERA ends up becoming. And I feel at least to me it is. And I, I definitely feel like that's something that doesn't really get brought up much with this pitching staff, but that's the biggest weakness I think for these guys. But 
Love the answers. I think that this starting staff is going to have a, you know, a huge upswing with Ruben Nabel in there. Um, but we're going to go back to the lineup real quick. So two comments left. One of them was Haas, but that was a joke. So we're not going to get into Hosmer. The other one from Devin, he says, the longest tenure Padre, El Gallo, Will Myers. Myers has shown glimpses of his ups and downs in his time in San Diego. 2016 and 20, uh, 20 were, were the best of El Gallo. 2017 and 2021 were the most disappointing. Yes, of course, he didn't turn out to be the franchise guy we traded in, in for exchange for the speedy, phenomenal Trey Turner, but I believe Will will bounce back to his 2016 and 2020 forms with Michael Bradar helping in, in that department. Um, I feel like he could be a, another reliable power threat uh, backing behind Nando, Machado, and Cronengod. Also throw Grisham in there too. He needs to find consistency at the plate to back up his glove. Defense can't always be uh, can't always save your offense. He can also benefit from Michael Bradar and tweak his plate approach a bit. So I'm with you there, with, with you there, Devin. But Chase, we'll go to you since it's it's about Mr. Will Myers. You guys know I've been saying that I'm expecting a Will Myers comeback season for the entire basically this entire offseason. I mean Going back to 2020, the games that he wasn't starting and he was at DH, he did pretty well. And I think having Will Myers in your lineup is always a good idea. I mean, sure, he may slump for, you know, a couple weeks to a month. But when he gets hot, like I said, he carries this lineup like Tatis does. We saw that for a stretch in, um, it's like July, maybe. (sighs) Against the Diamondbacks, he carried us. Usually against the Rockies, he carries us. He usually has really good offensive games where sometimes, you know, the other guys, you know, they take a break, they slow down, they have a little slump, and then Myers picks up. And that's kind of what we need. We can't just rely on Machado and Tatis. We need Will Myers to come back. We need Grisham to come back. And I think there's also some mismanagement with, you know, Okay, Will Myers, you're not going to start two out of three games against Arizona or two out of three games in Colorado when career-wise, Will Myers hits over 300 in Kerr's field and Will Myers hits over 300 with like 15 home runs at Chase Field. And Tingler's like, yeah, you're not starting. You take a guy out of his element, he's not going to do well. And, you know, uh, there was a lot of drama within that. Padres dugout last year towards the end of season. I can't imagine that helps either. But like I said, he's the longest tenured Padre. I expect his power numbers to go up this year. I expect him to hit better, especially with a new hitting coach that, you know, actually has a great philosophy, comes from an organization that had a career year offensively wise. So, yeah, I completely agree. So we go from the Will Myers lover on this channel to the Will Myers hater. Um, So I don't think I don't think uh, of course I, I think he's gonna remain a Padre. We've talked about he he might get traded. Um, I think he's gonna remain a Padre. With that said, um, a bounce back player, a bounce back season, in my opinion, for Will Myers is like because remember he he's normally around like a one three to a one six WAR player. So I think like a you know maybe not even a bounce back, but like a good season is like a two or a two five. I'll take that from Will Myers. And I think he can do that in left field. I don't think he should be playing too many games in right. I think that's going to be too much for him considering his his uh, his uh, his injured past. But if he's able to play left field, maybe some first base, DH a couple of times, and, and you preserve his health so that way he can perform at the plate, which is where you want him. I mean, we all thought Will Myers was going to be this big-time hitter with a lot of power. That's where you want him to be. That's what we, you know, us fans have thought he was and want him to be. 
we saw it in 2020 when there was only 60 games where sometimes he would DH and he'd mostly play right field, but sometimes he would DH. He was healthy. He was really healthy over that 60 game span. And it showed he had a really solid season. He was on pace for like a four war above a four war, I believe. So um, I actually want to say he was on pace for like a five. So, you know, a really great season for him there. And that's the Will Myers that we want. That's what the Will Myers that we expected. Um, now, if you're able to throw him into left field where defensively he is better, his war is going to be a lot higher because in right field, he's not that good. You know, his defensive his his defensive uh, numbers are going to weigh down his his overall value. And if you were able to put him somewhere where he's shown that he's more valuable, you're going to get more out of him, not only defensively, but at the plate where, you know, he's not going to have to run as much in left field. And and if he can DH, you know, he won't have to do anything but hit. And if he plays a couple times at first base, you know, he just he does. He barely he's barely got to move. Um, so being able to preserve his health so that way you can, you know, get reap the benefits of of Will Myers at the plate. I think that's going to be the most important aspect. Um I don't think he's going to hit like 260, 270. I think he's going to be around 250. But if you can give me like 25 home runs, which is around where Will Myers has, I, I think that's around where he can get um, 25 home runs, batting like 255 and, and playing some decent defense. I It won't be worth the, the what, 20 million he's going to make this year, but it'll be good enough. I would take it gladly. So I'm going to have to side a little bit more with Isaac on this one. Not because I don't have faith in Will Myers, but because Will Myers has been consistently inconsistent throughout his career. He's super up and down, but when you look at his numbers, when you look at his, you know, what his numbers are at the end of the year, he's pretty much between a 240 to a 250 hitter and a 760 to a 790 OPS. And he's pretty much always in that range. He's about a war and a half, 1.5 war player. Nothing spectacular, not bad necessarily, but he's just, the reality is that he's been overpaid. And that's more on the Padres' fault because they completely backloaded his deal. So, of course, when they're contending now, that's when Will Myers is making a bunch of money. Um, we've talked about this in the past. We, we don't really know why why that deal was signed with a, a, a backloaded deal opposed to a front-loaded deal, but it was. So you, you look at the, the Will Myers stuff, and I feel like if Will Myers was making half the money he was making, he would get talked about a lot differently. Um, but unfortunately, for for his sake and, and how people view him and how people judge him, he makes a lot more money than he probably should. Of course, he's going to get scrutinized. That's just the reality of pro sports. That's what happens to every guy that people feel like is overpaid. But with Will Myers, I think I, I have a feeling that we're going to get probably a little bit on that upper tier. Let's say a 250 to a 280 or to a uh, 8. 800 OPS and maybe 25 bombs. I do think adding in uh, Michael Br- or yeah, my adding in Bradar helps. Um, I also think that when you look at this lineup, if it's a little bit more complete this year, and also by having the DH, I think that adds a little bit of protection around him because he's consistently been batting around Hosmer for like his whole time in San Diego. I don't think that's the best spot to be in. Um, he's also got strikes out a lot, um, and he ends up chasing a lot of pitches, but he also walks a lot. So. I just feel like for him, he's never had a consistent year. If he did have a consistent year, he would have he would have insane numbers. But he hasn't done that yet, and he's been a he's been an MLB for nine years. So I don't have a ton of faith in him, like having like a crazy year. But I think I, I think I would be very happy if he hit two fifty and had an eight hundred OPS with with twenty five bombs. 
I think that'd be a great year for him. If he goes in, you put him in left field, he's going to play better defensively. That's where he's played the best at, um, I guess, besides first base. Um, but that's, you know, I think that'd be a good spot for him. I think that would ultimately be in my, in my eyes, a, a good season for him. Maybe not truly a comeback, but I am a little hesitant with Will Myers. I, I will say that. Um, but that's pretty much all I got. Thank you guys for the mailbag questions. Super fun to go through these. Chase, Isaac, anything you guys want to add before we take off? All right. Awesome. Well, I think that's going to do it for today's episode. So Thank you guys for the mailbag questions. We're going to continue to do this as long as the lockout is going on, and maybe we'll do these a few times throughout the, the season as well. But thank you all for listening, and we will be back tomorrow talking Padres baseball.